but uh, we'll try to make it as informing, inspiring, edifying, and uplifting as we can. Word from the pastor. The second one denies the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the moment that one denies all hope for humanity. That's not an overstatement. That is flat out the truth. What is, is. And that's the end of it. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die without the resurrection. Hey, baby, it's over. Life is really over. You're just existing. However, since he did rise from the dead historically, that fact changes the storyline of human history and the destiny of everybody who is, ever has been, or ever will be on this planet. Now, 1 Corinthians, the book, I'm not going to teach the book, but the book is basically organized topically. This church, some of them in the church, leaders, wrote to the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and said, hey, here's what's going on in our church. And mostly, one by one, he ticked off uh, answers to the questions, important questions that they raised, but he saved the last important question, utterly important, for the last part of his book, chapter 15. It had to do with the resurrection. You know, people, even professing Christian people, have a wonderful way of getting too smart for their britches. Especially those who fancy themselves on the intellectual side. And they always spin things. Well, those of you, these days nobody knows anything about history. That's an overstatement. But if you are one of those fortunate people who have been invested in some history, you know about Athens, you know about Greece. This church, Corinth, was located in the isthmus of, of Greece. And um, they prided themselves, like Americans pride themselves in things. We pride ourselves in technology, know-how, and all that kind of thing. Not the only people, but we Americans are practical people. That's American. Well, to be a Greek, you had to be intellectual. And they were very nuanced thinkers. Well, when we become a Christian, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, not all the old habits, intellectual and others, not all the old habits fall away. There's nothing wrong with being intellectual so long as it's kept in balance with everything else. Some of them weren't. Uh, this resurrection thing, bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, oh, that's kind of like the virgin birth. That's Ah, is that intellectually respectable? And so they they decided this stuff goes way back. It didn't it didn't start with the so-called enlightenment. It goes way back, and it had a lot of roots we can't get into this morning. But um, physical resurrection of Jesus. Uh, can we talk about a spiritual resurrection of some kind? And so they were proliferating this doctrine through the Corinthian church, which was all the churches of the city of Corinth, which was a big city. And it was getting some traction. So when they wrote this letter to the Apostle Paul, 
we don't know the frame of the question, but uh, they said, we've got some people, just like we have all kinds of people today, who, uh, ah, the resurrection, man, that's super, now that's a miracle. We don't believe in that stuff. So they tried to put a, um, a spiritualization layered on the resurrection. And so that Jesus, well, didn't actually physically raise from the dead. Well, the Apostle Paul, who's writing them, he was an intellectual. He was a keep it simple guy, but (laughs) you will see, he nailed it. And the answers he gave then are still very, very relevant for today. So... He starts out in verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read the chapter in segments as far as I can. In verses 1 through 11, he talks about, just to set the stage, about the historical foundation of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Uh, Not everybody here is always in church, familiar with the Christian, so I've got to kind of get down to the baseline. The gospel means the good news of Jesus Christ. It's the good news about salvation. No salvation, no nothing. So he talks about the essential content of the gospel. Let me read the first 11 verses. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received. Knock, knock. When we preached, you listened. This is what we were talking about. Everybody got that? You received it. Now, some of you are just drifting off that page. It's that message in which you stand, by which you are saved, without which you're not. You are saved, conditional clause, if you hold fast the word, the message, which I preach to you, unless it happens all the time, always did, unless you believed in vain. You got into a mode one day, maybe it was emotion, maybe it was this, maybe it was that, maybe it was all kinds of little influences, and you made a light profession of faith, but you didn't follow through. That could be the case. I don't know. But I delivered to you, verse 3, as of first importance, primary, crucial, what also I received, and it is this, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and he's going back to the Old Testament, like Isaiah chapter 53, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. That's the official band of apostles. After that, he appeared to more. What? He appeared. We're talking about a physical resurrection. Hey, he didn't appear off in a corner somewhere. He appeared to 500 brethren at one time. Hard to be duped there. Most of whom, hey, if you want to check it out, they're al- this is not legend, folks. It was not then. You'll hear that garbage. Well, it's legend. No, 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 no. The minute a person says that, I can tell you they don't know flip. He appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time most of whom remain until now. Some have fallen asleep, a Christian euphemism for dying because you're not really dying as a Christian, physically maybe. Then he appeared to James. 
Then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. And I am the least of the apostles. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I was persecuting, helping kill people who professed Christ. Yeah, that was me. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove in vain. I labored more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. doesn't matter whether it was I or they. So we preach to you who have believed. Well, let me run back over that, cut through so we don't miss anything, anything in the main line of his argument here. So I'm talking about the historical foundation of the gospel. This didn't appear out of thin air. He talks about the effect of the tradition they had received. It was a saving effect. They came to God. We are saved by God's grace through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ alone. You believe that message. I mean, it's possible for people just to believe in the truth. Most of you did. You got it and you embraced it with all your life and heart. The elements of the tradition they received were to review. Christ died for our sins, as prophesied in the Old Testament. Christ was buried, physically buried. No spirit stuff. He was brutalized and savaged and laid in a grave. And he rose on the third day, according to the scriptures, which predicted, which predicted us. And the most notable is Isaiah 53. Then he goes ahead and he talks about many eyewitnesses of the resurrection. Think about it. You know, people sometimes get, who don't know the Bible, who don't even study these things, they get weird ideas in their head. Well, okay, a couple of people saw, saw him or claimed they saw him. Oh, no. Let me say this, and I'm not the first one to say it. Uh, people who have really researched it, I mean, great thinkers. They come to the resurrection, and some of them start out to disprove it. That can't be. And the more they get into it, the more they say, some of them have been great legal minds. This can't be disproven. We have more evidence that Jesus Christ rose from the dead than Napoleon ever lived. People don't realize this stuff. You think of any excuse, anything, it's been brought up before, and it's all been laid to rest. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is about as solid as it gets. For example, Peter saw Jesus resurrected. We read that. Then the 12, that time it was the 11, but that was kind of the conventional name. Then at another point, 500 witnesses, most of whom are still alive. <laughs> Check it out. You want names and addresses? We can give it to you. 500 people saw Jesus physically alive after the resurrection. Then he appeared to his, at that time, unbelieving brother, Mary and Joseph, James. Then he appeared again to the apostles. And Paul said, 
Finally, he appeared to me. Paul was a persecutor. He was a Pharisee, a high-level Pharisee. Hated Jesus, despised him, and despised those who believed in him. Well, that ended on a Damascus road when he was going to persecute believers up in Damascus at Antioch. Now he talks in verses 12 through 34 about the cruciality of the resurrection of the gospel scheme. Hey, those of you in the congregation at Corinth, come alive, wake up. You've got to understand that if you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, that's null and void. All of it's null and void. All of it's a bag of gas unless he rose from the dead physically. Don't try to make something out of it. It's not. So he talks about the hope attending the resurrection of Christ. Let's, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. At my age, it's better to get ahead of him than get behind. <laughs> A lot of other things I could say, but we don't have time for that. But I jumped ahead. He talks about, in verses 12 through 34, that extended passage, the denial of the resurrection by some. So verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached, if he's proclaimed, if that's the Christian message, if it's proclaimed that he's been raised from the dead, uh, tell me, on what grounds do some among you in your congregation who loudly profess themselves to be Christians, how do you people come along and say there is no resurrection from the dead. This is not an ancient thing. You've had that all through history. And uh, you've got people who still claim to be Christians. There's a group called progressive Christians. They're just old liberals. You've got people who still do that today. How do you say there's no resurrection from the dead? On what authority? By what evidence? Look, you want a little logic? Well, here we go. If there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ was not raised. That is in principle. Now, the dead don't rise. You can, you can. Well, he says if the dead don't rise, then Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And there, folks, we got a problem. Now, if Christ is preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some of you say there is no resurrection? If there's no resurrection from the dead, not even Christ has been raised. You can't make an exception there if the dead don't rise. And if Christ has not been raised, let's drive this a little further, show you the logical implications. Then our preaching is in vain. All this stuff, my preaching is in vain. What am I doing here? 2,100 years later, what? in the world am I doing here? A bag of gas and a sport goat. And your faith is in vain. So what are you doing here? If Jesus Christ was not physically raised from the dead, well, it's not the most elegant way of putting it, but we're a bunch of intellectual eight balls. Wasting our time and everybody wasting this property 
all this stuff. Paul says, do you get it? It's in vain. You've got to hold fast to the resurrection. Moreover, he says, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. We say God did this. God raised his son from the dead. No, he didn't. If there's no resurrection from the dead, Christ didn't rise from the dead. And we lie about God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. comes back. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, he repeats it. Your faith is absolutely worthless. It's not worth a bit more than a Confederate nickel. Then those who have fallen asleep, there's a Christian metaphor again. It's called fallen asleep because they try through this, through this euphemism to emphasize that an analogy. Uh, we go to bed at night. We lie there a little bit. We go to sleep. To all appearances, we look dead. But we're not. That became a euphemism for Christians dying. Because when we die, yeah, we look dead and we are physically dead. But our spirits have gone on to be with the Lord until his return. So I call it falling asleep. So, If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. If he's not been raised, verse 17, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. That's the big problem in this world. I saw yesterday where Franklin Graham made that statement. He said, uh, the big pro problem in this world is sin, and it is. Go all the way back to Adam and Eve. We'll see more of that. We're sinners. The wages of sin is death, not just physical death. That's just an outward symptom, but estrangement, alienation from our Creator. So, we come now to verse 20. But now that Christ has been raised, now let's speak historical fact. Now that Christ has been raised, raised as the first fruits. You know how, I don't think this gets past anybody, but... Um, we go out here, spring is here, we get the rains, we get the sunshine, get into summer, and all of a sudden we see fruits out there. Oh, there's an apple. Ah, this one's red. The rest of them are green. It's a first fruit, like with all other fruits. Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruit of the resurrection. There were other people who were resuscitated. They were raised from the dead, but they died again. But Jesus died and he lives forevermore. He didn't die again. And when we're resurrected, we won't die again. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. For since by man came death, that's Adam. You know what Adam means in Hebrew? Oh, this is really profound. <laughs> man. Man. For since by man, by Adam came death, by man, who's that? The Son of God in a mystery we cannot get our heads around. The Son of God who became, entered the world through the incarnation and was also the Son of Man. Wow. As an Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. You're an Adam, 
If you don't know Jesus Christ this morning, sitting in the, you are in Adam. You're still connected with your original parent with all that that implies, and that's spiritual death. But in Christ, he is the source of life. All will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then verse 24 comes the end when he delivers up the kingdom to God the Father when he's abolished all rule and all authority. I'll stop right there for the moment. So, if there is no resurrection, I'm repeating, I'm aware of that. It's not senility, though I have some elements of that. <laughs> if there's no resurrection, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our mass message lacks a basis. Kinos. It's empty. We are simply liars against the activity of God. But if Christ has not been raised, your faith and my faith is hollow. Mattia, that's the Greek, hollow, empty. You are still under the penalty of sin. Since obviously God's unable to undo death or else he's unwilling regarding the sacrifice of Christ as inadequate. Hence, no canceled check as I spoke Friday night. Our Christian brethren and loved ones who've fallen asleep, well, they're dead, they're gone, it's over. There's no hope for them. Death is final. We are more pitiable than any since we hoped so long, endured so much, and wound up with so little. This is all ridiculous. Corinthians, so how do you talk yourself out of the physical resurrection? Well, he talks about the hope attending the resurrection of Christ. His resurrection is a sacred pledge of our own resurrection, just as the first fruit in a field is an early signal the harvest to come. In the plan of God, it's ordained that all those in Christ, organically connected to him through his spirit, he's the second Adam. The first one came, he blew it. Jesus Christ came into the world to be the second Adam. All those in Christ shall be made alive just like all of those connected with the first Adam die. You're either in the second Adam or you're in the first Adam. Our resurrection at his coming signals the consummation of the goal. Tell us of God's eternal plan when Christ the Lord shall abolish all opposing authorities and power structures in heaven and earth. Let me read that. Then comes the end, verse 24, when he delivers up the kingdom to God the Father. An end is coming. We're waiting on it. We're not just sitting around here waiting to die. If he doesn't come, we're going to die, all of us. One way or another, we're going down. Remember that. Always like to look at the clock in these situations. 1029, 1041, 42. I'm that many seconds nearer dead than when I started this sentence. You are dying. It would do a lot of us a lot of good if we just wake up, look in the mirror. When you get my age, it really impresses you. You are dying. <laughs> okay. 
you are dying. Your hope is the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the first fruit, and he's the guarantee. He's the warranty. He's the pledge that all of us in him, the second Adam, are going to be raised in him, raised up physically. So, until, until then, Christ will reign as Lord until he van- vanquishes all of the enemies. He's going to do that. Uh, most of us, I don't want to say all of us, but most of us in this room, uh, we do watch the news usually in one form or another, except those who just hid their head, and I don't blame you. And look at what's happening in the world, in this country. We look at Ukraine, we look at her, and we say, what is wrong with our nation and our world that we aren't outraged, outraged to the max by the brutality, the savagery. Men, women, children executed, and for what? And we look what's going on in our own country. Shoot them here, shoot them there. People walk up to old men and old women and just beat the way out of them. Crime, 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 more crime. And we just sit there with our hands down. No. It's going to change. Christ will reign as Lord when he comes and he will vanquish all the enemies of Christ. Death is the last enemy. Death came with Adam and Eve. God warned them, if you go your way instead of my way, you will die. Adam and Eve didn't die right there. They did it. They died in the sense that they were separated from their creator. And then physical death is a symptom of that. Yep, it'll be abolished. That time is coming and all of its effects. And then Christ the Lord will at last subject himself to the rule of the heavenly father. There's a Trinitarian concept of our God. So Paul next says in verses 29 through 34, look folks, I don't know where you jump tracks in your belief system. I don't know how you got so far off base in this matter of the resurrection. But I want to tell you, don't try to make that Christian belief. All of Christian tradition, here he's talking about the apostles. All of Christian tradition and the endurance of Christians unto death imply belief in the physical resurrection. Let me read verses 29 through 34. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? I'll explain that best I can. If the dead are not raised at all, then why in the world is there this custom of baptizing people? What's it all about? It's meaningless. And why are we, he's talking about the Christian community, but especially the leaders. Why are we in danger every hour. I mean, people are out there and they've got bad intentions and they're wanting to kill us. 
I protest, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus the Lord. I want you to know I die daily. Every day I, it's carte blanche with God, whatever. But I'm expecting death at any time from enemies. If I did it from human motives, if I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, and they were wild, it's a figure. What is the problem? If there's no physical resurrection, why on earth am I doing that? And if the dead are not raised, then, hey, he was logical. I've made this point so many times in my ministry. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. I used to tell my brother, who just right at the end came to know Christ. I would tell him, Bertie. I'm much too logical to live the way you live and the way some of you may live. If there is no resurrection, then there's no truth. You run it back logically and there's no God. And if there's no God, life has absolutely no meaning. So at that point, and that's what people want, that's what atheists like. They like a world in which there's no accountability to a creator. That's what they want. Won't always admit it, but some do. That's the world, they, and they want a world where they can be God. Well, it just doesn't work. Without God, without Jesus, Without the resurrection, life is meaningless. I would challenge anybody, well, tell me where the meaning is. Tell me where the meaning is. I'd tell Bernie, I'm going to kick all the traces. And the only thing that'll hold me back, the only thing that'll hold me back is I don't want to go to jail or be executed. I really don't. That would give me some restraint, but that's all. Everything else, are no moral laws and none of that. Eat, drink, and be merry. And there's where you go if you don't have the resurrection. And that's what Paul was saying to these people who thought they were being philosophically nuanced and subtle by positing some kind of spiritual resurrection. Well, There was a custom. We don't really understand it fully. I think I might know what it's all about, but I know the logic here. There was a custom of surrogate baptism. Baptism was the mode in which people expressed their faith in Christ, and therefore it was very important in the early church. I could explain why we got away from that. It's not a really good explanation, but I could explain it, but I can't detour for that. But what happened is, that people felt it was just so important to be baptized because it was in the waters of baptism that people expressed their faith. Water didn't save anybody, didn't now? None of that. That doesn't save anybody. It's a symbol. But it's an expression of our faith. And so they wanted to be baptized. Well, you get people in certain conditions where they were too ill or had other conditions where they couldn't be baptized or some maybe had confessed Christ and got immediately murdered. And so people would step up, friends and relatives, and say, 
let me be a surrogate for them before God and be baptized. I think, the operative word there is think. I think that's what happens and what explains it. Paul is not necessarily embracing that custom, but he's saying, what is their logic? Why do these people so insist on getting in the waters of baptism and expressing their faith? Because they have a hope. They have a hope of the resurrection. Why would they do that if it weren't for that hope? Come on, wake up. And then Christian endurance. Paul says, I'll use myself as an example. Why do we go through all of this? Man, I feel like every day's death date, a date with death. If there's no resurrection, why am I putting myself through it? Why do others do that? So without the resurrection hope, logic would dictate a self-indulgent philosophy of naked hedonism. For any who don't know, hedonism is just the pursuit of pleasure. So now, some of you will be interested in this. I hope all of you will, but some of you maybe especially. Here's a response to skeptical questions. He anticipates those. This is in verses 30 through 56, 35 through 56. Now, I can hear it now, he says. Some of them will say, okay, buddy. Come on. How are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? This issue is not so simple. Well, you think I'm frank. Not that frank. (laughs) But you think I'm frank. Well, I've got a good basis for that right here, the apostle, although he's an apostle and I'm not. He comes back and he says, you fool. You absolute fool. You thought that was a good question, dummy? It's not. Then he goes to nature for an analogy. That which you sow does not come to life unless it does. Well, my dad raised a big garden when I was a kid, and I know all about that, and some of you do too. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body that will be. You sow a bare grain. I remember sowing corn. I remember cutting up potatoes in little pieces and put them in there. And then we get all these potatoes later. You could put seeds down and dead, just inert seeds, and watch what they produce. I remember all of that. Remember that much anyway. Perhaps of wheat or of something else. But it breaks through the ground. God gives it a body just as he wished to each of the seeds a body of its own. There's that analogy in nature. Why is this so surprising to you? All flesh is not the same flesh. You and I have got flesh right now. We've got the flesh that we inherited in Adam. It's dying. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beast, and another flesh of birds and of fish. Then in the skies, let's go to the heavens. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one. The glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. Well, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. It's sown a perishable body. One of these days, if Christ doesn't come, I'm going to die. 
Some days I wish it would be today. But you're going to die. I'm going to die if Christ doesn't come. It's on a perishable body. It, it, we inherited that from Adam. But it'll be raised an imperishable body. It'll be physical. It'll be adapted to the eternal state. It's sown in dishonor. What do you mean sown in dishonor? Well, it's just, look at us. Like I say, it's a little kidding aside. Look at us, some of us. And once in a while, you see a picture of Joe or Nellie. And they were young, and we look when they were 35 and say, oh, he was a nice-looking guy. Nellie was really pretty. When you say was, you're sending a message. She was. She no longer is, and she can tell, and we can tell, it's over. It's over. Mom, I see, I see people, especially ladies as old as I am. And oh, they're out and they're putting on, I just think, get it off. Get it off. It ain't working. That body's going down in dishonor. Just wake up. Look in the mirror. You are what you are. And it's not going to be much longer. Now, am I being blunt? Yeah. But we need to wake up. It's sown in dishonor. That's the way it is with this body. You better hope there's something else. And there is. So, nature reminds us that God has ordered a wide variety of forms or bodies for things that inhabit this temporal world. Just as please God. He teaches us that there's nothing inherently absurd in expecting the end product to take a different form from the one who died. So Christ, when he was raised from the dead, he had a different body than the one they crucified. But it was a physical body. It was a body adapted to the eternal state. Glory of one, glory of the other. But one is imperishable. One is perishable. This one is not. So, in verses 42 and 4 through 49, he, uh, as we rush along, he compares the pre- and the post-resurrection bodies. So, also is the resurrection from the dead. It's sown a perishable body, it's raised an imperishable body. Sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. You're not going to be the same person. I'm glad, especially. Even when I was young, I wasn't too impressed by what I saw in the mirror. Anyway, I, I'm glad for the improvement. Sown a natural body, but raised a spiritual body. That doesn't mean a spook, a ghost. It means it's like Christ's body. You are full of life. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. It explains in verse 45, so it is written. The first man, Adam, became a living soul. God breathed into that body life. The last man, Adam, is a life-giving spirit. That's a different order of thing. And we will share that when we're raised from the dead. But the spiritual, verse 46, is not first. 
but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man, Adam, he's from earth. Therefore, his descendants are earthy. The second man is from heaven, and he is spirit, though he is tangible and physical. As is the earthly, so are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so are those who are heavenly. I misread something there, but you get it, I think. Having to hurry here. But just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So we hold a memorial service and that kind of thing. It's not a lot of fake. Oh, they're just trying to kid themselves. No. If they're believers in Christ, there was no discontinuity. Their spirit went to be with him. It will be clothed when he returns with a heavenly body. Now, some of you who are younger, you hear this stuff. I think I don't know how it strikes your ear. But that seems so far away that it doesn't seem real and it doesn't seem very important. Well, let me tell you, you've heard this. This life's going to cruise along a lot faster than you imagine. I heard it when I was young. I can. It's going to go zip. And there's coming a day you're going to look back and you're going to say, where did it all go? It seemed like only yesterday. I remember when I could fit into those clothes. <laughs> Talk to me about that. <laughs> yesterday I was trying to get clothed for a certain event. I got so mad, I tried three pair of pants and none of them would fit. I said, okay, I see a little fasting coming on. But there's not much that's going to help people like me. It's we're going to die. But when we're raised, we'll be raised with a new body that's not subject to death any longer. So let's look at verses 50 through 55. Transformation is inherently necessary in the kingdom of God. I say this, brethren. Get this down, flesh and blood. That's what the Corinthians were thinking about. It can't inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Two different orders of things. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. When the Lord comes, I don't know when that is. You don't know when that is. The Bible tells us none of us know when that is. But when he appears, well, some of us are going to be right here. We're not going to be dead. I don't know whether this generation, but we're not going to be dead. Well, what about that? Well, he explains. Verse 52, verse 51. We shall not all sleep, die physically, but we will all be transformed. We will be changed in a moment, in a split second. We will be caught up to be with the Lord in the air. And you talk about a transformation. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, and oh, will it sound. You will hear a blast that will circle the globe. 
people go, oh, oh, oh my God. They were right. Oh my God, here he is. Rocks, hills, cover, cover me from the face of him who is coming. Yep. We will be changed. Our friends, our relatives, family who knew Christ, their bodies will emerge, but it'll not be a reintegration of all that. Okay, so they were cremated. Oh, listen, do you think that's a problem to God? Do you think God says, now how am I going to recompose these bodies? No problem. We're dealing with God, the God who made us, the creator of the universe. All the stars in the heavens, okay, send cameras out there a billion miles. God created that too. And we are worried about what he's going to do with somebody cremated. I think I'll be cremated and just have my ashes spread right out here on this lawn. Fire may not burn me, I don't know. Those are no problems to God. That, that, such silly stuff. And the body we have will have a different glory than the one which went down. Well, the still living will require transformation. It'll be transformed simultaneously, the two. That is, those who are raised from the dead, who passed on, and those of us who are still standing. Then he goes on and he says, verse 53, this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. That's just the way it is. Wonderful thing. But this perishable will have put on, when it happens that this perishable will have put on the imperishable, I'm hurrying. I'm never good when I hurry. I may not be any good anyway, but I'm never good when I hurry. But this mortal will have put on immortality and then will come about that saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where did it go? It's gone. The sting of death is sin. A bee has a stinger. Well, the stinger that causes us all to die physically and alienated us from God, that's sin. And, uh, the power of sin is the law. It means the law of God. It's out there, the law of God. It's a good thing. It's a very good thing. But it tells you that if you're going to inherit eternal life, you're not. <laughs> well, you've got a problem. I've got a problem because you can't keep it. And the wages of sin is death. That's a power. But... Thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brethren, what's all this mean tomorrow morning? Well, he says to the Corinthian church where some were doubting, be steadfast, immovable. Hey, that's not easy. We live in a world, worldview, and a lot of different worldviews, but we live in a world where people don't get it. 
And uh, so a lot of pressures come at us. You go to you go to your workplace. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure against you as a Christian. You go to school, a lot of pressure against you as a Christian. Then stuff hits you. Stuff. Where is this coming from? What's happening? What's going on? <laughs> Be steadfast and unmovable. Don't let that throw you off your pens. Be always abounding in the work of the Lord, not always crying in your beer, knowing that your toil is not in vain. Whatever happens, you win. In the end, we win. And we win big. That's what this chapter, we win big. The physical resurrection is central to all that. And in the interim, whose help do we have? We have God's help. In the end, we win. Be steadfast, unmovable, doing the work of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this great chapter. Lord, I pray the Spirit of God would overcome my own frailties in trying to teach such a long passage. But we pray that he'd cause the message to land where it needs to land, either for encouragement and inspiration or for conviction of the truth about the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for being able to gather here in your great name and celebrate you as our creator and in Christ Jesus, our redeemer. His name we pray, amen.